0: Today's program has been brought to you by Calavita. Think outside the bottle with Calavita, America's trusted family brand, makers of extra virgin olive oil and fine Italian food products. Calavita.com.
1: Today's program has been brought to you by Wines of Bordeaux. Visit their website at bordeaux.com. Hey, what's up? This is Jack
2: Inslee, host of Full Service Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this show, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
3: Welcome to Food Talk. Mike Helomeco here. his Radio is what you're listening to. Good good show. We've got three guests, so we're going to dive right in head first. Um, who are my three guests? Today? Ryan Sutton is with me now in the studio. He is the food critic of record, one of several, for Eater New York, covering New York. Previous to that, he was doing the same thing for Bloomberg. Um, then I've got a baker coming in who's doing something really cool. I heard about this pop-up, Bread Lab it's called, right down the street on Moore Street in scenic Bushwick. Adam Leonti is his name, uh, trained in Philadelphia at the Vetri organization. And you got this cool bread thing he's doing that I think he's going to continue doing because he's going to open up a hotel in Williamsburg. But they're bringing in grain, artisanal grains from all around the country and grinding it in-house to make bread, which is something that's... Becoming like a thing. The guy at Faro does the same thing. And your guys, and I still have to get to your pizza joint, but what's it called? Bruno's, Bob, the one on the Lower East Side in the East
4: Village. Bruno is the pizzeria, and they <laughs> grind their own flour, and it makes for an absolutely lovely, almost fruity crust, because it's made from whole wheat, a whole lot of flavor in there. Yeah, I've got to try. I mean, because it's gotten... And, I, and it's so funny, because the last time you we were here,
3: I remember reading this rave review, and then... Then I'm like, whoa, and Wells shat on that place. I remember, like, I think he did, right? Somebody else did.
4: Gave, oh, Pete Wells of the New York Times uh, gave it a, a zero-star review. Uh, I gave it a very positive two-star review, and I called it one of my you know, favorite restaurants of the year. Um, but, again, these are – no one is right. I mean, some people are going to weed – Pete Wells review of Bruno, and they're going to identify with his you know concerns specifically regarding uh, the fact that you're paying uh, a little bit more than usual uh, for a, a pizza and some small plates in a pretty uncomfortable setting and other people are going to read my review. And they're going to identify with me because they're going to say this is the trade-off we're making in this budget gourmet era when prices are rising. And even though maybe we're paying a little bit more than a typical pizzeria, we're also paying less for these small plates than we would at a fine dining restaurant like Manresa in California. And at Bruno, you're getting these beautiful plates with you know sweet potato uh, uh, topped with a gorgeous andouille sauce. You're getting you know eggplant three ways. And so it it depends on how you want to uh, view it. There's no one has a monopoly on the truth in food criticism. It's such a subjective field, and I think we're lucky we live in New York where we can have uh, people like me uh, who like a place like Bruno and people like Pete Wells who, who don't like it, and it's through uh, these you know, mutual misunderstandings that we come to you know, the, the larger truth, if there is any. And it's so awesome that we can debate these things rather than you know all of us be sheeple and, and, and follow the herd.
3: How much is the average pizza
4: at Bruno? It's not terribly expensive. Uh, off the high t- teens into the low twenties. Uh, I believe it's in that ballpark. But that's uh, it's kind of
3: the same as it's, Motorino, it's, the same as Roberta's here in Bushwick. I mean,
4: right. And there's also small plates which can rack up your meal. And I think they have pastas in the low teens and early twenties. It's not as expensive at Bruno as you'll find a pizza at Franny's. Uh, in Prospect Heights, right. near Grand Army Plaza, where I believe, after tax and tip, you're probably going to spend somewhere in the ballpark of 26 to $28 for a margarita. The pizzas are a little bit bigger there. Uh, they also use, uh, some would argue, slightly higher ingredients. You're, you're paying for the mozzarella de bufala there, you know? I love saying it like that. And But in any case, I mean, listen, this is the debate we're engaged in right now. Uh, a lot of these basic goods that used to be cheap... Um, are being served in, in slightly more high-end venues, but not in incredibly fine dining venues. And, you know, the biggest challenge for the diner in 2016 is, is not necessarily paying more for that tasting menu, because we always know we're going to spend like $500 or two for, you know, uh, uh, that tasting menu at Empey on on or what have you, and we'll talk about that later. But it, can the diner get accustomed to paying $25 for a Lamborghini at the Brussels, which is going to cost $32 after tax and tip? And I think that's the the... the the thing that the, the New York diner is going to have to get used to, um, if they can get used to that in the first place, can we, can we pay more for these casual goods? And, and how, is gonna, how is that going to affect the, the middle of the road restaurants? Are, are people going to stop eating at them? W- will they populate them as much as they used to, or will they go there maybe once less per month? Because they don't necessarily feel like paying $65 for the strip steak at Manetta Tavern when it used to be $37 in 2009.
3: Yeah, it's crazy, and it's that's a fact. I, it's it's a great piece of meat, but at thirty seven, the price of meat has not doubled in that time frame. Um, you know, I, I talk to chefs all the time, Ryan, and I have to tell you, even heading into this year in the fourth quarter, I'd bump into guys, and everybody was just shitting in their pants because they knew about the pay, the the increase in minimum wage, and you know, in some sense, it's great to see people making a working wage in a city where that's a struggle. Um, in terms of the front of the house, I'm just – I scratch my head because they were always the highest paid people in the restaurants anyway. It's the back of the house that always gets screwed. front of the house always made tons of dough. Um, so a lot of the restaurateurs I'm talking to are saying, you know, if my base for them is 750, how am I going to make any money? And to your point, so there's going to be menu creep up on, on the price of ingredients because you know, good chefs want to play with good ingredients. You can't really build a good meal out of mediocre ingredients. That's a fact. So – as you see places like Contra and Fung Two, and these places that are kind of casual di- casual fine dining in these peripheral areas, you know, if they start to lose 10% of the revenue and customers who are going out less because it's more expensive, that could be the difference between making it and not making it.
4: That is. And, you know, the devil will be in the details. No one precisely knows uh, what the impact of the minimum wages rising will be until they actually rise. And they have risen, and we're going to have to see how that plays out. Uh Obviously, we have other case studies like San Francisco and Seattle, both of which are slowly creeping up towards a $15 minimum wage. And, you know, California and Seattle and the Pacific Northwest has not yet fallen into the Pacific Ocean. You know, people are still alive there. People are continuing to go out to eat, and they're continuing to pay just a little bit more for their food than they used to be. Mm -hmm. And everyone's making out. Uh, Of course, in New York, we have that same social experiment going on. Um, The minimum wage for waiters rose by $2.50 in the new year. Uh, It goes up to $7. So it's $7.50 is the tip minimum. Waiters earn a little bit less than full-time employees. Of course, they get tips, so that means they're making a whole lot more than they used to be. And because, as you wisely noted, that waiters already make more than cooks in the back of the house, uh, that raises the problem. How do we compensate these cooks more when we have to give our main... Uh, raise to the waiters who didn't need it in the first place and yeah. so restaurants are dealing with that by eliminating tipping and because tips are legally the property of the, um, of the employee when you switch to no tipping what would have been a tip counts as revenue and that's the property not of the employee but the employer and you can distribute those revenues as you see fit so you can raise everyone's wages and that's of course what Danny Meyer is doing what Gabe Stolman is doing what Tom Kalikio is doing at lunch and what uh, also David Chang is doing at Momo Fukunishi his new restaurant in Chelsea which spoiler alert is actually was actually pretty tasty on my first visit, but it was also pretty expensive, not just because tipping, but, you know, three drinks, uh, three plates, dinner for one, $120, which is tough in a, again, using that, that term I like to use, a, a budget gourmet restaurant. A pretty stripped-down environment, dinner for one, $120. It's pretty aggressive.
3: Yeah, I mean, hello. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I think it, it'll it's going to be an interesting year. I mean, restaurateurs are really biting their nails. So the huge news last week, it was like a shot across the bow. I actually was doing an event at the Beard House on Tuesday night, so I, and I don't check my phone when I'm doing stuff, so I did not look at it, but I woke up Wednesday morning to log on to the New York Times for the, I, I mean, I cannot recall a bigger takedown, um, I don't think ever, a restaurant that went from top of the heap four stars, a uh, 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 a standing of which at any time in historical New York since the Times has been awarding stars, there's never been any more than six or seven or four or five four-star restaurants. I mean, it's it's considered the best. It's the highest. Standard. So to go from four stars, not to three, which happened to Danielle Belude and does happen to restaurants, it's not that uncommon. Four to two is huge. A two-star demo uh, – to be demoted two stars from a four-star status is was shocking. And more than that, it was – the way the the review was written. I mean, it was something... I don't want to say personal, because I don't think that exists. I don't think Pete was writing, you know, A. Hey, Thomas, this is what I think. But I think it was just that kind of... Maybe some of the best reviews you read are the ones that aren't the good ones, because the, sort of the knives come out, and I'm, I thought Frank Bruni's best reviews were his takedown reviews as well. Um, but you had the same basic... Story in either when was that? Last summer, last spring?
4: Uh, a little bit earlier than that. It was about a year before the Pete Wells review came out in December of uh, 2014. You awarded per se what out of what? Uh, I awarded per se a two out of four stars. Okay, and even though I had never given it four in the in, in the first place, um, I, I remember having dined at per se in the early days of that restaurant having been open. Uh, I dined there for the first time in 2004, in November, shortly after Frank Bruni himself gave it four stars. I was then a young graduate student. I was 26 years old. Uh, I went with my mother. She took me. It was kind of my graduate. My, You know, the deal was I paid for grad school. Mom paid for per se. I think she got the better end of that bargain. Uh, grad school was pretty expensive. Spoiler alert. And per se, it was pretty expensive, too. Uh, so in 2004, when I went, and it was absolutely a, four, a four-star meal. It was kind of my indoctrination into the world of long tasting menus and so in 2004 the price of dinner was hundred and fifty dollars it did not include service at the time so when we had wine pairings which we negotiated for a hundred dollars each uh, and and a foie gras supplement, we ended up spending somewhere in the ballpark of 600 to $700 for two in 2004. Um, now, fast forward to 2016, the price of dinner is a little bit more expensive. Uh, it went to service included in 2005, and it gradually crept up. I remember it was 210 service included in 2005, eventually went to 250 then 275 uh, price of dinner now is $325 per person at per se service included and a wine pairings tax and tip and all the supplements, and all of a sudden, You're no longer at a $700 meal, like me and mom spent, but you're closer to a $1,000 meal. In fact, if you get all the supplements, you can spend closer to $2,000 if you do the full wine pairings and everything. So we're an extravagantly expensive restaurant, and the larger question is, has that food improved over that time as the prices have increased? Or is this simply... Inflation is going up, and food costs are going up, and labor costs are going up, and we're simply going to raise the prices. And unfortunately, I believe that's what the case is at Per Se, because even though we all realize that things get more expensive as time goes on. It's a fact of humanity, death, taxes, and inflation. Inflation should be the fourth part of or third part of that equation. But really, a restaurant needs to get better as it charges more. And that hasn't happened per se. It's what I argued in my two-star review and it's what Pete Wells argued. And to use, um, you know, I've spoken about my review before. Uh, Pete Wells had a great line. He calls it among, per se, is among the worst food deals in New York. And if I can elaborate on that, it's the fact that you – Order per se at, at you order foie gras per se, it's an extra thirty dollars. It used to be forty, now it's thirty. They you know trimmed it down a bit. You order a high-end caviar, an extra sixty dollars. You order wagyu beef, extra hundred dollars, and you order white or black truffles. Black truffles one twenty-five, white truffles 175. one seventy-five. That's not a dollar seventy-five, that's a hundred and seventy-five dollars. Which is another way of saying the price of white truffles at per se is about the price of a tasting menu at another restaurant, and that's just one course. Which is, again, these are absolutely extravagant numbers and lots of other restaurants aren't charging for those supplements, and that's what you know boggles your mind. You can go to you know the chef's table at Brooklyn Fair, you can go to 11 Madison Park, and you can en- enjoy some of these indulgences, but you won't be charged extra for it, and that's why, per se, is among the worst food deals in New York.
3: Yeah, he finished, I think that was the tagline of his review, wasn't it? The last line of his review. It,
4: it, 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 was, it was among them, and of course, yeah. that clever item of, is per se worth it, in and of itself, it, it is not, you know, no, referring not, to of course, the, the, the line, Latin right? meaning of the restaurant itself and so Thomas Keller has a lot of work to do and it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in the dining room because you have two major critics if I can call myself a major critic um, issuing pretty critical reviews of this restaurant so how is this going to impact that restaurant will there be changes in the front of the house in the back of the house will he cut prices will he change the menu format will he try to be and I think this is what's most important of all a a more innovative restaurant that has evolved with the times because you can still eat it per se and you know it used to be a a almost avant-garde experience it was the first time I ever had butter poached lobster. Uh, it was the first time I ever had caviar for myself. It was, uh, I think, the first time I probably had something that was cooked sous vide. And, and now it's just a, a tired restaurant serving expensive food. It, listen, I, and I wrote about this in my review, not every restaurant is going to be at the avant-garde throughout the course of its existence. You know, go to uh, Paul Bocuse in Lyon or, you know, wherever it is in that, in that area. And you're obviously not going to get an a linear experience. You're not going to get Heston Blumenthal, Fat Duck, liquid nitrogen, you know, waiters juggling chemistry experiments experiments around the table. Uh, you expect, and I'm sure that restaurant was, you know, at the you know Polbo That that was an avant garde restaurant at one time. But now, you know, the uh, uh, the chicken and with the truffles and the pig's bladder, what what, what once was avant garde is now classic. And and some of the things that Perse did once was at the you know, once was super progressive and modern. This is now classic. Um, and so I, I, I realize that's the arc of a restaurant. But, oh gosh, I don't know. The, the, the food just doesn't taste good. So, you know, the theory is there. I, I realize you're going to become more classic as you get older, but there, there are simply better deals in New York and more interesting things happening in food, and there are better places to try those classics uh, than uh, per se. So they have, you know, like at Danielle or La Bernadette where you can get a beautifully classic meal for a whole lot less.
3: Yeah, I have to say, and this full disclosure, I've had two meals per se. Once in like '05, that time frame, and it was incredible. Tasting menu, just perfect food, perfect service. And then I had another meal there in oh eight, oh nine in the salon. For some reason, I couldn't get in the main dining room, which I didn't give a shit. It was great, same food. And it was amazing. It was perfect. I mean, So my two references were, it was flawless. The food was, the execution was on. So they've dropped the ball, apparently, because this is you a year ago. And then, and then Pete Wells today, and then of course you know the Times has that comment section which just was lit up. I mean they didn't take that review. Still up on the on the dining section, and I don't know what the comment section is probably in the, in the low thousands at this point.
4: Yeah, and and, and listen, there's the a thing, lot of piling on. It's a lot of piling on because I mean listen, there are restaurants in New York like Nello. Uh, Nello is I, I've never been. I understand it's not a terribly good restaurant, and it's the type of place where the price X is a cover charge. You know you go in, you get like penne alla vodka for like forty dollars or something like that, and that's the type of place Johnny Depp goes. So. So he doesn't get photographed by the paparazzi, because he knows everyday smart people, whether they be foodies or non-foodies, are not going to go there and spend $40 on a la vodka. It doesn't make sense. The prices <laughs> act as a cover charge. But that's not the case with per se. Per se isn't catering to the Johnny Depp's and the people who don't want to be photographed. Per se is catering to everyday food people who want to spend a little bit more than they're used to. I mean, per se it is it long-considered. A place where even if you're not terribly into food, you can go and understand what luxury means, and you'll be treated as well as anyone else. And you know, it's a place you go after you get engaged, and you can say, "Hey, I went to Per Se," and other people understand what you're talking about because it's understood to mean, you know, luxury. Uh, I remember you ever watched uh, Jessica Jones on Netflix? You know, there was a little back and forth between a character and say, oh, book him the chef's table per se. There's actually no chef's table per se. But the fact that a restaurant like per se out of any other restaurant in New York could make its way Onto one of the more avant-garde television shows of 2015, Jessica Jones. It's a Marvel action hero show that also doubles as a parable for abuse, but we'll talk about that in another show. <laughs> um, but the fact that per se made it on, made it as a reference onto that show means that it carries a certain cultural weight. That this is where you go for something fancy, and so that's why. Pete Wells wasn't, and myself included, we weren't just taking down Anello. We weren't taking down a restaurant for rich people, by rich people, and for rich people. We are taking down a restaurant where everyday people go to spend their hard-earned and limited disposable income because they were told it was one of the best restaurants you know, in New York. Okay,
3: we're going to switch switch tables, switch neighborhoods, go down to the East Village and talk about Alex Stupak's MPL El Cochina. So Alex has a restaurant in the West Village that's kind of like full on Mexican broad, but not super fine dining, but really good. And then he has El Pastor on Saint Mark's, which is kind of a great concept because it's inexpensive. It's almost kind of sort of sort of quasi self service, um, and he's doing everything straight up textbook perfectly. You know, making his own nixtamal downstairs, grinding it fresh every day. You know, there's no reheated. Um, Anything, and and it's, it's a great taqueria, great bar, great taqueria, super fun scene. And then Cochina is his sort of higher end of the three, and that's on 1st Avenue, 2nd Avenue? It's on 1st Avenue. On 1st Avenue, around the corner from, from Mel Pasteur. And, and so that's a, got a really, really super creative menu to begin with, because that guy is just a really – he's a great chef. He's got great chops, great taste. Intellectually, he's the, he's the package. But he's got a little table in the back that's literally right by the kitchen pass. It's an open kitchen, and there's a table that kind of sits high. you got to sit up on these bar stools, and he offers that every night, an early seating and a late seating, two different tasting menus. And you, tell me about you. So you must have recently had one of those. You had the long one, the, the
4: later version. That's right. I, I went twice uh, over the past of the last month. Uh, I had the longer tasting menu. It's twenty one. Was, was that a review, by the way, or just? Uh, a... it, it was a review. Uh, I, I didn't award stars, but sorry, I was I, looking. I kept looking for the stars. I'm like, do where the stars? Where the stars? I, I, need, I need stars. <laughs> but I, I gave it. Uh, uh, it was as long as any typical review. Uh, it's, it's. It can be hard to give stars to Alex Tupac. I mean, the <laughs> the guy changes his mind and changes his restaurant format so much that. Uh, it's at a point where I'm more or less writing something about Cochino once a year because he's doing something so significantly new. Um, and then rather than give stars, I'm just going to keep going back and, and make it part of, you know, I guess, an an ongoing dialogue about the state of the restaurant and the and the fluid state of Stupac and the fluid state of Mexican cuisine in New York. And I think the apotheosis of that, as you were mentioning, is at the chef's table, $165, 21 courses. And it's—I mean—it's not like you sit down, you get 21 tacos, or you get, you know, 21, you know, moles. This is not necessarily the uh, the Mexican food that we're used to, either as an appropriated American style of restaurant food or a regionally authentic style of Mexican food. This is more of an Alex Stupak, progressive modernist style. Of Mexican food. I mean, Stupak himself, who used to work at Alinea, and then he went to WD50. As you know, pastry so, chef, pastry chef and, in both as, places. As two chef, two of the most
3: avant-garde kitchens in the country,
4: without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, he's. I mean, this is a guy who can use, for lack of a better term, multi-syllabic. Ingredients uh, to gel and ungel your various sauces. So he's at the top. He was at the top of his game, and then he uh, he left it all and started opening Mexican restaurants. And so he's finally come back full circle and starting to serve the same type of creative food or a similar type of creative food that he was doing at either Alinea or WD50. Um, and so you have you know a, a Oaxacan black mole that's served not as a sauce but as a sorbet or an ice cream, and it's wonderfully rich and complex. Complex and spicy, and you have you know, celery root that's cut into sashimi and served with, you know, again, a, a chile mole and a coconut crema. And you have al pastor tacos that are not served as pork with pineapple, which is how it's usually served, but you have it served as an inverse al pastor, which is slices of pineapple topped with pork. So instead of pork with pineapple, it's pineapple with pork it's the opposite and you funny it's funny because it's your final savory course and you think it's going to be sweet but it's actually very very savory as much as a regular al pastor and it even it's even porkier than most al pastors you've you've had so there's gosh it's it's it's, it's hard to find one talking point for Alex Tupac cuz there's just so many it's it's, yeah. it's it's so hard to unpack what he does but what he does is hugely important because he's he's trying to make Mexican cuisine as adaptable and malleable as French food. Um, you know, when you when you eat at, you know, Danielle, yeah, you realize it's French food, but it's just a starting point for the story that Danielle wants to tell with his Vatavan spices here or his butter poached abalone there. And by the same token, Mexican is just a reference point for what Alex Stupak thinks is delicious. And by breaking us out of this little, small little box of Mexican food has to be tacos, Mexican food has to be a rustic mole. We can elevate the cuisine, we can let it evolve like it has always wanted to, and of course it's evolving in in other places as well. We're living in an era right now where people are flying out to Mexico City just to eat there, to eat at tasting menus at Mexico City. We're also living in an era where people are already paying $125 per person to eat Mexican food in New York at restaurants like Cosme by Enrique Olvera, a famous Mexican chef. So we, we've seen Mexican food evolve in New York from, you know, street Food to Americanized fine dining food at restaurants like Rosa Mexicana and Dos Toros, where they started to bring Mexican food into the middle of a road, uh, American palate. And now we're seeing people like Alex Dupac and Enrique O'Vara take that one step further and charge us even more and bring it into the fine dining context. And Enrique does it in a slightly more o- authentic, high end Mexican way, and Alex Dupac does it in a slightly more modernist way. It's beautiful. You get, you know, the ocetra caviar with walnut creme. Is it Mexican? Not really, but it's absolutely delicious and it's served in this little ceramic and in fact, you can eat it without your hands, which is pretty neat.
3: And you don't have to, just for the interest of full disclosure, you don't, that's just one, that's one table at that restaurant. The rest of the restaurants a la carte and it's, you know, medium, fair priced. It's a wonderful, I mean, I, I think it's a great place. I'm a huge fan of Alex. He's just a super curious, intellectual guy, never sits still. His mind's always working. He's got great chops and yeah, he's just sort of Mexican juice through the Alec stupac prism coming out the other end he's got a great book they wrote with jordana rothman by the way that just came out that's a lovely book if you haven't seen it
4: tacos um, and provocations only stupac could come up with an eyeball rolling title like tacos and, and provocations that's
3: correct liz is my next guest in okay bingo dude how was that 24 minutes did we breathe we barely breathed but we got <laughs> a lot covered i'll get you back in a couple of months again always a pleasure ryan sutton you can read his work and if you think he's articulated on the radio which he is Um, Read his writing. He's a really good food writer. Love his stuff. Love his... If you go to Eater right now, that that Alex Stupak review is up there. Um, Just Brian Sutton, Eater, Bing, it's first thing up. It's a great read. Um, Keep up the great work. Keep eating around town. Do what you do. Spread spread the word. I'll see you back here in a couple of months.
4: I'll see you in a couple of months. Thanks for having me.
3: Be careful out on the ski slopes. Stay tuned. I've got... A cat coming in that I read about in the New York Times, because I read the Times, because I do. Um, they were doing, it's a bread pop-up right down the street from us in in Bushwick, right down Moore Street. Um, Adam Leonti is his name. We're going to get him in right after this spot for some of the people that make this show and other shows possible here at Heritage. Stay tuned. Mike Halameco here. Everybody knows that great cooking really starts with great ingredients and these days we have so many options to choose from. Well, I go back to the Colavita family brand for years, and there really is a Colavita family behind this brand. I got their story long after I started using their products. Back in the mid-80s, when I was the chef at the Ritz-Carlton here in New York City, one of the things you can do as a chef is order your own food. You do the purchasing, and we switched olive oils to Colavita. Uh, When I had my own restaurant down in Cape May, New Jersey, The Globe, for years, that's all we ever poured at the table, that's all I ever cooked with. And then when I started my PBS show in 1999, I thought, you know, if I'm going to look after underwriting and funders, why don't I go after products that I actually use at home? that I actually cook for my family with and in my restaurant with. I've been working with them for 15 years with the PBS series and now with Heritage Radio. The Colavita family goes back generations in Italy. They make their olive oil from great sourced olives, traceable sourced olives, just south of Rome in Molise province, Abruzzo, which is where my family hails from. Since then, their family's moved here, so there's Colavita's living in Rome, Colavita's living in America. It's a great trusted family brand. It's the olive oil I use, and I recommend you try it as well. So if you listen to the show, you know I am a wine lover. We get sommeliers here all the time. We get winemakers. I've been drinking wine with dinner since before most of you were born. And when you think of the great wine regions of the world, I mean, what comes to mind? Bordeaux, Burgundy, Champagne, Piedmont? Yeah, okay. Well, I just got back from Bordeaux was there for the crush for the 2015 harvest and i was thrilled to see a how the city of bordeaux has transformed itself it's so alive it's so beautiful and the region itself is crazy there's a whole new generation of young vignerons who are coming in and they're not making your grandfather's bordeaux anymore Young farmers, young vignerons that have been there for generations, that know the soil, that know the grapes. And what grapes are we talking about? Mm, You know, we're pretty familiar here. Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cab Franc, Petit Verdot, Malbec. All of those grapes find themselves in these blends. But the new style of Bordeaux wines are super fresh, super young, super clean, meant to be consumed now, not cellared for decades, because really, who has a cellar? The whites are super great. I think they're super undervalued and appreciated. Sémillon Sauvignon Blanc crisp dry all stainless if there's a little oak integration you barely feel it and the reds come in all sorts of styles you know the left bank is a little more Cabernet Sauvignon, when you don't have it, a little more structured a little more tannic the right bank with more Merlot tends to be fruity a little more opened up receives you a little bit easier but if you've been walking past that Bordeaux aisle in your wine store stop and grab a bottle from 15 to 35 dollars is some of the best value on planet Earth with wines that are growing in one of the great wine regions, vignerons that are passionate, they know what they're doing. Give Bordeaux a second shot. I love the wines. Hey, welcome back. Food Talk, Mike Calameco. It's a pleasure to have in studio with me Jeff Kozlowski and Adam Leonti, who are the... The brain trust behind a place called the Bread Lab. So I opened up the New York Times on the on the computer one morning and read probably Florence Fabricant, because she's always great front burner stuffing. That's where I heard about you guys. That was her. That was her. Florence. And um and I'm thinking, well, this is easy. I'm already on Moore Street at Roberta's every Thursday. <laughs> so I came in early as I always do one day and I just walked down that bleak stretch. <laughs> this, I mean, you've heard of just you feel that haven't been here. Yeah, but like there's like metal fabricators and marble cutters, yeah. and yeah. across Mont- from you, a big like commercial noodle house, wonton factory, wonton yeah. factory. A pretzel guy, New yeah. York dough pretzel. It's like crazy. Yeah, man, and then and Watson is right across the street from us here. Like all yeah. those, ground, oh, yeah. like all those processed meats. So it's this mixed industrial zone, and in the middle of this, there's just this really this glass, and you walk in, and this huge open space. And you guys... So so tell me what you're doing and where this idea came from.
1: Definitely. Um, Well, I uh, moved up to New York in May to open a restaurant in a hotel that's being built. And the owners of the hotel, the Williamsburg Hotel, um, came up to me and said, while we're under construction, would you like to use a space that we have on Moore Street? And I thought, what do you mean like near Roberta's? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, it's kind of quiet over there. And... I said, well, let's go check it out. So we checked it out, and I said, this would be a great place for our baking department that we're doing at the hotel, which is kind of a big effort. You know, it's got a, a stone mill that's three and a half tons, and we were going to be making all the flour for the property, um, which would have six food outlets in it, and be processing about 400 pounds of grain in an hour. And I said, sure, I'd love to do this here if, it's, if that's okay with you. And they said, we would love it. We really want to get this space moving. We have a whole bunch of spaces right there on Moore Street, that black and white building. And it would give us a chance to build it out and kind of show it to other people that are looking to get to East Williamsburg. So I said, let's do a bread lab. And that was another conversation. They're like, well, what the hell is a bread lab? And it's like, it's not really a thing. What the hell is a bread lab? Yeah. <laughs> it's not really. Never, that's one of my questions. Yeah. yeah. It's not really a thing. There is a bread lab, a real deal bread lab out in uh, Mount Vernon in Washington State, part of Washington State University. And I had the pleasure to visit there over the last few years and learn about how wheat being milled fresh is more flavorful and better for you and it kind of changed what i was doing in the course of how i was cooking in philadelphia at an italian restaurant and we started making all the pasta you know with fresh flour bread and dessert you know anything you could really think of that would have flour in it we started using fresh flour and
3: anybody else doing that in philly besides vetri
1: no that was it He was a pioneer. Um, How many years ago? This was about three years ago. We met the Bread Lab guys and bought a mill, and then just started doing it. A a smaller uh, mill. Yep. It was a little mill, um, and we started to change all of our pastas over, all of the breads, everything. And I uh, was really happy with the results. And that was uh, a condition on coming up here to make sure that, that was going to happen for me. It's
3: crazy. It's like something new. It's like you. Yeah. Get, all this keeps getting pushed. You know, I, I'm yeah. an, an old guy. I started in this business cooking like in the 60s and 70s, right? Yeah. So my hate, my, my, or in New York was the 80s. That's when I was a chef coming up, a cook, sous chef, then became a chef. Yeah. And um, when I look at like, it, it's just so much better now. Like anyone that looks back with rosy glasses and says, oh, the old yeah. days, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm really <laughs> yeah. like cooking shit off a system truck yeah, man. Yeah, you well, couldn't buy good bread in New York, and yeah. and then and then it got to the point where you could get good bread in New York, and now that's not good enough, guys. Like you are grinding your own flour, it's and this amazing. kid. Have you been to Faro yet, off Jefferson? Yeah, I have. Absolutely. I mean, that guy's a nut. He's a kid from Florida, husband-wife team. I love the place. Yeah. same thing. He's got a little mill, and he grinds his own flour for his own pizzas, for his own pastas, for his own breads. He makes <laughs> porridge. It's off. The, it's crazy. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah,
1: and I think it's you know it's a big movement. It's something that's got to happen, and it was a catalyst time, and something of this size in my feelings had to happen um, it's the first one of its kind on this scale in New York where I've seen it on the west coast um, and seen it happen um, you know San Francisco and in Washington and I yeah, was they're
3: like, always ahead of us exactly right. trends always come west to east in right. America totally right? unfortunately I'm an East Coast guy but yeah
1: no I mean let's get real here yeah so and
0: it, it certainly makes a lot of sense uh Uh, With the trajectory of everything, how everything's going, local food, and like how people are paying a lot more attention to that, this is kind of the next um, logical step, you know.
1: And uh, another thing, too, that's important is that this Bread Lab um, is open to experimentation and, and collaboration, we, so I you're, didn't, you're telling me, you're getting yeah. industry, you're getting
3: uh, f- fellow professionals, bakers, totally. coming in saying, hey, can I hang out a couple of days with you? Because it's yeah. like Willy Wonka shit. Exactly. When are they going to get a chance to be able to do yes, this? Yes, totally. exactly
1: And the idea is that it's not private technology where we're buying a small mill and just trying to have an edge on other restaurants. It's just trying to really get people to be turned on to it. So that way when you go into a restaurant, it's not a weird like geeky thing to see that there's you know fresh milled wheat hopefully eventually all of it will be one day and people will just be like I'll have a cheeseburger and you just hope that the bun was made you know responsibly right. it's crazy it's really funny how
3: far this has come along uh, it's uh, I'm just thrilled with this stuff so tell so you brought a loaf of bread I, I, so I went in before, when I first met her, I walked in. It was like mm-hmm. a rainy, shitty day. Somebody was doing. Our <laughs> eyes oh, met. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> were, was Somebody Somebody <laughs> had a fire pit out on <laughs> yeah. the street. That's uh, a big thing. I don't even know what they were roasting yeah. out there. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, they were just. Bushwick is bizarre. It was, it was trash. We were doing a trash burn. Yeah, a trash burn. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, trash <laughs> burn. Plastic. Bodies. Bodies. plastic. Yeah, yeah, totally. I've been watching Making of a Murder. So. It was the bones of that girl. Yeah, um yeah, big time. So. So I go in, and and you had, I mean, it was kind of cool. So you had some cheese set up. It's kind of yeah. like, a, you know, for an, an interface for a consumer, and you had a couple of different goods, One specific bread that day. Yeah. It was a large kind of not particularly hard crust bread. Didn't seem like kind of a sour. Um, Whole wheat kind of uh, Very hard to describe the color But I took it home I, I, I think I took it home Cut it in four Threw it in the fridge yeah. Yeah. And the things I think it's still Living somewhere in a piece I mean every yeah. night We were just <laughs> having My wife's a baker She's so like yeah. this shit's great So tell me about the providence Of what you brought here today You brought a loaf really? today Where's the flour from What's the style of the bread S- So
1: the flour is from us we make all right, the flour right but as if so, so is, is it pennsylvania
3: is in new york this is, is
1: this is kansas kansas which i didn't know where it was on the map uh until i looked <laughs> and kansas i realized is the middle of america that's it's, all you have to do it's, it's the two, of the up two up from texas from texas <laughs> yeah. that's what we found that's out that's what yeah. jeff told me it's yeah. the middle of the kind near oklahoma him. and nebraska yeah we googled a, it yeah. big chunk you googled it okay. we yeah, googled yeah. it well, actually we yahooed it and we we binged it yeah um so we got it from kansas and just started this uh relationship with hartland mill And they're a mill themselves, and they like to sell flour. And I just had a conversation with them and said, you know, this is probably not usual, but we'd really like just to get the grain. I know it's um, part of your business to sell it as flour, but if we could maybe do like a 1,000 pounds of grain, it would be worth your while. And she said, yeah, it would be great. And it was our first experience outside of the East Coast as the Bread Lab. We were using stuff from Pennsylvania, from New York, and we really wanted to see what uh, wheat would be like that didn't have as much rain uh, fall and would have a little bit higher protein. So, this is our first bread. uh, The variety of wheat is called turkey, and it's a a higher protein flour, or bread, uh, sorry, grain that we make in flour. And man, it really does. Puff up a little bit more than the East Coast stuff. It was kind of very attractive Seriously. looking loaf. Very yeah.
3: So, gluten, the protein. So, we go from pastry flour where there's very little gluten that's removed, stripped down to AP flour, which is somewhere in the middle, to the mm-hmm. higher gluten bread flours because you want that gluten development in bread and in pizza,
1: the exact opposite of you want in pastry. Mm-hmm. Do we know the numbers, like what percentage the protein is? Yeah, definitely. Is on this? So, the protein is 12 and a half. Okay. Um, All purpose flour usually runs around 11. And then, you know, what's so funny is all these things are such blanket words like pastry flour. What does that mean? Because it can mean so many different Correct. things. Correct. And so mm-hmm. a lot of them are cut with cornstarch, Yeah, they've. It's, it's you in know, there. and you yeah. know, there's things like that make them pastry flour. Because we like to think that this, this grain, it can be pastry flour, so we make pastry flour with it. We actually made about five pastries today um, at the lab. So, uh, but for bread or bread flour, if you want to call it, or any kind of name you want to give it, it's twelve and a half for the turkey. And what's great is uh, because it is a farm product and uh, just taken care for by you know small groups of people. Next year it'll be a different. It'll be a different thing altogether. It could be higher in protein. It could be lower. So right now, it's 12 and a half for the, the crop that they're selling us, which is cool. And
0: that's been the most interesting part, is kind of uh, seeing the different characteristics of these different grains and different um, batches of the same grain, and uh, it, it's been incredibly interesting seeing that, you know.
1: It makes us better bakers, because now we have to, like, make sure we make it the exact same way every time, if we're going to, like, change one variable, you know. Which isn't easy. I mean, yeah. baking's really – I mean, baking – as I've, like, an old friend of Jim Leahy's, my wife's a
3: pastry chef, I mean, yeah. I've known... But, you know, they, I mean, you come in some days, the air is one the humidity, you come totally. in another day, the air is another humidity, yeah. your ovens are... I mean, there's all of these things that affect flour, because flour is just this sponge, too, that's going to be picking up cues from, the, from what's around it.
1: That's true. Totally. But you know what we did find, too, is that even if maybe our hands weren't um, the most gentle that day or our oven wasn't quite hot enough, just the simple fact that this fresh grain is fermented and you taste it it just tastes better so even our like hiccups taste good. Right. Which is cool.
0: Just kind of like thinking of it as being a vehicle for the grain instead of like trying to manipulate it to the point of you can't recognize it. Um, it really kind of does the work for you at that point,
3: you know. And you can get, and so, I mean, you're not a huge operation. You're not, you, you know, you're not General Mills. Just two dudes. So, yeah, but yeah, so, and two guys but when, so when, the, when the restaurant, when you when the hotel opens, you'll have more demand, but so you're going to be sourcing all of this through small farmers, exactly. smaller independent family farms mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania, in New York, in the Midwest. Anywhere. Yep. Yeah. non gm this is like real clean, like, uh, I am going to say heirloom variety. Is well, what the that supposed to mean? You know, be, there is
1: no GMO wheat. That's there the isn't. There doesn't, isn't. doesn't uh, exist. Yeah, okay. yeah it's not a, not a thing. Okay. Which is which is interesting, because you see on menus right now, it says non-GMO flour, and it, it doesn't there, it's, exist, all, it's all non-GMO. Oh, it's funny because yeah. I thought somebody—I
3: t- don't know—with all the eating disorders course, and people that are, t- sure, are tolerant, yeah. people are saying, "Well, the flour is different today than the flour was 100 years ago." And I'm like, "I'll take your word for that." Totally. I have the no idea. The
1: flour is the grain, though. Fresh can be you know. can be similar, but the flour is different because now you're, you're working with flour that's been separated, and all the all the nutrients are taken out. And you're just getting basically the starch
3: part. That's the American shit. When right. we buy a pound of flour, and it's, some of it's even bleached because we like it white, oh. it wouldn't be white enough.
1: But you know, here's the thing. is It's not American. That is, The whole world is on that standard. Everybody does that. Every country you go to, that baguette, the reason why baguettes are hot is because they don't taste like anything when they're cold. That's the whole idea of like getting a hot baguette in Paris is because it's, it's white commodity flour. I think it's just a romantic idea how people feel like, oh, I feel so much better after I ate this. And it's like, it's not true. <laughs> it's, not, it's not, it's nothing, you know. It's, it's like it's, the
3: people that get headaches from sulfites and wines. Right. Proud, yeah, right? It's it's totally, Because right. yeah. you guys, I feel so bad. The other, I mean, the, the good news for you guys is like the industry is that's great. You guys are at such a good time. America is, we have <clears throat> such great stuff going on. Totally. A public that supports it, that's constantly growing. Absolutely. But then you have this fucking allergy thing that didn't exist when I was a kid. Like, sure, my yeah. chef friends will be like, they'll show me like, Customers will come in with a laminated plastic placard yeah, right. of, I don't eat this. And I'm right. like, can you tell them to go fuck themselves? Right, Go home and eat celery. We can't <laughs> yeah. help you. Drink yeah. water and gargle. I right. can't help you, right? Exactly. But it's been
0: really cool, like the response, like a lot of people just don't know, you know. And then when you kind of explain the process and when they taste the bread, it's it's kind of like an oh moment, you know.
1: Yeah, I'm not a healthy person. Like, I don't live a healthy lifestyle. It's We're just chefs. this, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, totally. But this stuff uh, was a flavor thing. You know, that was where it all yeah, started. Yeah, no, it's
3: great. I I'm st- mean, I'm yeah. it's just such
1: a cool thing. Hey, Liz, qu- quick question. Are my next guest in? Is
3: Bill here with uh, Jake? Okay, super. Um, Thank you guys for. Yeah, we saw coming Telepan in. out there. Okay, good, good, good. I and like, now oh, you yeah. met Jake Dixon. Introduce yourselves. Yeah, time. time. Jake's we did. got a badass store in oh, the Chelsea yeah. Market, New York. Just all New York cattle, New yeah. York pork. Yeah, New, super clean, grass fed. Some of it's grain finished. I mean, when I, I used to live in his neighborhood, that's the only place I'd buy my. That's meat. awesome, yeah, yeah. We just met
1: him. Yeah, I couldn't believe my uh, my eyes. It's like, oh my god, there's like. Bill Telepan, you know, like that's. Do you want to talk about healthy food and yeah. good stuff? I was like,
3: Bill's badass.
1: Bill's I restaurant's mean, really, really oh, good for sure.
3: Yeah, Bill so yeah. serious a samurai, no joke. He's a good guy. He's a so. good guy. I've known those guys forever. Thanks so much for coming and continue success. Let me know when the when the hotel gets Appreciate close. Appreciate Thanks for having us. Yeah. We're going to make the
1: long walk back. so <laughs> Yeah, we'll see you later. You have a yeah, the long walk down the street. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Continue success, guys. Thank yeah, you, thank, thank you, very folks. Much.
3: Stay tuned. A couple minutes, we have Bill Telepan and Jake Dixon. We're talking about the New York Chili Fest upcoming in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. when we're live. Okay, hey, we're back. I have two great guests here that have been here before. You guys have both been here before. No. Not yeah. on your show. I haven't been. Okay, well, you've been out to Roberto's before. To <laughs> That's famous Heritage Radio. Bill, always a pleasure. Bill Telepan of the Eponymous Restaurant, Telepan Upper West Side, 67th? Ninth. 69th. 69th. I getting confused. Columbus and Amsterdam, South Side of the Block. Been there for a long time, an institution in the Columbus in
2: Central Park West.
3: Almost, right. Almost <laughs> in Central Park West. Um, and it's. I'll tell you what, the Upper West Side really has been for years kind of, I don't want to say underserved by restaurants, but it has been kind of a, a restaurant desert. I lived there for years. I never figured out why. There's money on. There's plenty of money up there, but it just hasn't popped the way some neighborhoods have. Your restaurant is so consistently excellent. Thank you. Every time I see like, vid, like we filmed with you a couple of years back, and I, I just remembered like tasting everything and seeing how it was done. I'm like, this is just badass shit. And I remember you, you way back to the. Um, I'm old. No, 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 no. <laughs> to the, uh, the, what was it called, that place? That's Judson not, Grill. Judson Grill. Yeah, hey, brother, seven years are, there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you were there. I you remember. did a piece for your show on the, us there. And the Board of Health showed up at 6.30, pre-theater on a Sweet. rainy night. And just fucking wheels that came off so the train. That was so fun, yeah. That was such a shit show. What do you mean like,
2: wheels came off the train? It was very calm and smooth. <laughs> it worked very well, Michael. not know was you oh, I don't, I don't it so remember so it the way you remember it. It
3: was so smooth, yeah. Oh, just come right in, no problem. Hey, sure, whatever you we just going 250 covers while you annoy us. Exactly. Sure. Uh, at Jake Dixon, the owner of Dixon's Farm Stand, which is in the Chelsea market, I'm a huge fan. I have been a customer pretty much since, I think, the day you opened. Yes, and I must say, one, I, I have watched you evolve like in, like any other business in the beginning. you kind of, hmm, I don't know, let's get some meat, put it in the counter, put some prices on it and hope. Um, and then it began to morph into like value-added stuff, and then you got chefs that could do stuff in the back. And then you began to do lunch, which you never did in the beginning. And then I went in there yesterday, my first time in there a while, because I don't live in the neighborhood anymore. Uh, and I was just like, holy shit. Like new cases with all kinds of new products in there. So I bought lamb neck. I bought your bacon burgers. I bought some of your some of your smoked sausages. I got a couple of big pieces of red meat. I'm going to have steak for dinner tonight. So I got that. Um, Palomina. What do you call that one? Palomia. Yeah. Got one of those. Um, some stuff for the family for the weekend. A little. I mean, it was just amazing. It was like everywhere I was turning around, I'm like like I dropped like a buck and change without thinking. What? <laughs> well, like, I, I appreciate. It. You know, I believe uh, business has to be a work in progress. So we try to do everything a little bit better every day. So talk to me. You guys are here for we are going to talk about this Chili Fest. First of all, when is it? January uh, January
5: 31st? It's, it's a, a Sunday. Uh, yes, the Sunday. We always do it between the Super Bowl and the playoffs. It's the one week with no football. Cuz oh, I think there's a 100% uh, overlap between football fans and people who attend the Chili Festival.
3: Yeah, it's a, and, <laughs> and, and, and men, and it's a strange time as the football season winds down. I'm not really a sports guy, but I do kind of watch, I kind of like Sunday night football and Monday night. If it's something to do, and it's a short game and whatever. And that's like the end of the season always kind of sucks because it's like now, is Game of Thrones going to come back on? Is The Walking Dead going to come April. on? It's April. Some, I game mean, I think something April. to do Nothing. with Sundays. Yeah. All right, so the Chili Fest is the 31st. Where do they get tickets? Uh, you can something, get
5: something, something. them on nychilifest2016.com.
3: nychilifest2016.com.
5: That's correct. Okay. Uh, so the event is uh, Dixon's Farm Sand Supplies this year. It's 27 chefs from around the city um, with 40 pounds of meat as the base for the chili. They can do use it, not use it. Uh, There's no rules They can get as creative Or basic as they like Um, And they take the beef back To their kitchens And their restaurants And they make a whole bunch Of delicious chili And then they bring it back To Chelsea Market On the 31st And we serve uh, Sam take is, over
3: the whole That's cause, right Because that, yeah. there's that huge cluster shit of tourists Normally <laughs> They won't be there that day Because they'll just uh, tickets. There's no Japanese with cameras by the fountain Unless they buy tickets, nope Okay, well
5: that's uh, nice to know That's yes, a, a reason actually, to go We closed down all of Chelsea Market We lined the, the whole
3: concourse 800 feet of chili Wow, um, that's got to be epically cool It's very So good. if you're a fan of chili This is like the shit Or beer Or beer. So there's a beer component to this, too.
5: Yeah, so Sam Adams is our beer sponsor. Uh, New York Distilling Company is our booze sponsor. Uh, Pouring some cocktails. Uh, It's fun. We got lots of bars, lots of chili. There are really no lines for this event. It's not like a lot of the big events where... You get in and then you gotta wait. Um there is more than enough chili and more than enough beers and taps to get it's it. It's not gonna be Google Mooga day one.
3: <laughs> <I got laughs> we, we were there. He knows. He's I laughing. wasn't. He was, you, thankfully. You were smart. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> that, that was a cluster. That was an epic fuck up. Whoa man, that yeah. was so fun uh, to watch. But it's great we I got have got to be in it.
5: Great judges, we got some great live. Who are music. the judges? Who are the judges?
3: This guy, no Telepan. Yeah. Oh, good. So a guy, guy with chops. Bingo. Bow. Chops, bow, yeah. bow. Bow.
2: Twenty-two chili. Twenty-seven. I gotta 27 try. Twenty-seven this nice. year.
3: Nice. Yeah, yeah.
5: All right. If you try one ounce from each, the equivalent of a big gulp of chili. That's right. Wow. It's, uh, it's pretty extreme. uh it's I'm, not kind of, I'm not a one-ounce guy. No. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. it's kind of one ounce of chili. That's tough. That's tough. This is like the, it's not the Keller tasting menu idea. Yeah. So who else, a, is is Bill, who, else, who else is there? Just Bill, who, who was else is there? Adam Sachs yeah.
2: from Savir, um, uh Alex Raja from uh, sure, Chiquito. Sure, sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Catherine Letterer from Chopped Salad. Cool. Um, Lior from Lior. Uh, all right, Lior, of course, company. the Spice Company. Yeah, 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 And where's And the and,
3: proceeds. There is a charity component to this. Bill, I'll let you take it away on that So one. let's talk about this. It. So it's not just, so, so the Chelsea market, I'm loving it. So we, yeah. we get a vacuum cleaner, whoop, no tourists. Right. That's a huge improvement. Right. Because that's my only complaint so the place is a victim of its own success. Yep. I just, I can't wait to get out of there when I'm in there. Just do my shopping and leave me alone, folks. Mm-hmm. So no tourists, lot, that entire long kiosk, one entire block, yep. basically, going to be lined with Chili, chili, chili vendors. Chili. Some, some of New York City's there will be best a ju- a, the judgment will, uh, will the judgment be judgment day. Will come from will come from you experts. guys, experts, experts. Right? But and then the <laughs> the proceeds, a, a chunk of the proceeds go to wellness in and, the schools. Uh, We've been involved with this for years, for many
2: years, and then we hit our tenth year last year into our eleventh year. And the idea of wellness in schools is we bring cooks into the cafeteria to uh, bring the kids healthy lunches. We bring coaches into the um the recess yard to get a, get the kids active and uh, prevent bullying so it changes the whole lunch time experience so you have a healthy lunch active recess you're ready to go back into the second half of the day ready to learn and the fitting thing for this of, of all things is that the chili fest chili was the first hot dish that i cooked at ps87 back in 2009 or eight one of those years mm-hmm. and so that was the sort of the, the one meal that we sort of uh, brought to all the schools in the very beginning so as we grew into we went from three to nine to 18 schools and, and now we're in 75 schools across New York Are City Are
3: you at all of Jorge Calazo on this or no?
2: Uh, Jorge is no longer with oh, the, he's not yeah yeah but Vita we have worked with him okay. and uh, before, um, of course we worked very closely with them actually we worked closely with the Department of Education who yeah. runs the, the school food program in putting together an alternative menu so we're using this alternative menu you, um, that um, are in all of our schools and other schools, but is also available to every school in New York City. That sort of uh, brings in healthier items. Um, we do salad bars, uh, we, you know, these great salad bars at homemade dressings. We eliminate chocolate milk. We bring in water jets. We, I mean, school, vending machines are gone. So it's yeah, lunches
3: were a huge dirty secrets. Yeah, an so man.
2: and so it's been it's been uh um, we're really uh, happy for that. The the Chili Fest is actually going to be uh, benefiting wellness in the school So and your and,
3: kids went to New York public schools. You've got.
2: I have one daughter who still is in high school now, okay. up in the Bronx at the American High School of American Studies at uh, Lehman College. And, and uh, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're a public school family. so and uh, And this is great because, you know, 75% of the kids in New York City you know, at the, at the at or below the poverty level, so yeah, yeah. they 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 eat school lunch, it's and a lot the of them. Biggest
3: lunch program in America, It's feeds over a million mouths a day. Second a to the military, day. the yeah. U.S. military, and yeah. the
2: thing about it is, a lot of these kids, that's their only chance to get a hot meal a day. Correct, and so we feel that they should have a, a better you know better choices for
5: them. So, yeah. and because Chelsea Market is so generously donated the space, and they do all the security and all the filings with Who, the city, Jamestown, Jamestown, Jamestown yeah, Jamestown that uh, we actually raise even just from ticket sales, we raise a huge amount of money. We'll probably raise in this event between our sponsors and ticket sales about
3: $45,000 that's great that'd so be great that's super yeah, yeah we're psyched <laughs> so that's the Sunday that there's no football on that's right no so football. It, it's easy to remember it's a Sunday before the Super Bowl that's, right. that's the one so the 31st right. 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 day. from from <laughs> and so and what times at all oh, what time do the doors open
5: doors open at 7 uh, best to get there at like 630 we'll get people checked in as fast as possible And then usually it kind of it goes till seven till nine, but usually actually people are so full and pretty drunk that people kind of are like they're ready to go
3: after two hours of intense
5: chili and beer consumption. (laughs) Yeah, there's a
3: limit. I mean, it's like barbecue and chili. I mean, like I'm always like so starving when I get started, and then the stuff just hits you. I mean, it's not light. And and I got to try
2: 27. I got to try 27 of them. What that's not easy
3: is, that's not easy being a judge on these things isn't easy yeah, people, it's work are, dude people
5: are worried that they're gonna, we're gonna run out they're used to going to these food events they're so packed that they like run in and go crazy and then like half an hour in they're like burned out you gotta pace yourself There's I'm gonna bring a chili. fitness
2: component from Wits to do halfway through the tasting so we can we'll have like a little fit maybe. break
5: you know what I mean
3: halfway through right do some
2: push-ups a little you know cardio you could just dance there's
3: a really yeah, good we'll band the i was gonna ask you about that i'm seeing i'm you reading my mind so i'm thinking this, i'm thinking there's got to be a, there has to be a yeah, music yeah. component like country western acoustic thing think upright you bass the, uh, banjo think you're already
5: on the defibrillators website maybe no Not that's who that the band is yeah
3: okay that's yeah. perfect, man! What a great yeah. celebration of Americana in the heart of one of the great markets in New York City. Yeah,
4: yeah.
5: we've got great sponsors, good food jobs. Is one of our uh, bronze sponsors and Chop Salad right. uh, City is our uh, is our platinum sponsor. They're uh, donating a lot to it.
3: Yeah. City Bank, awesome. yeah. City Banks, yep. yeah.
5: Yeah. Good for
3: you. And then you put this together? This was your brainstorm? Me and Mary Cleaver in the early years. Well, Mary's so. a badass. I love Mary. Yeah. She's she's really – that's a, she's such a great little story. I mean, she started out as a caterer in Tribeca way back when, and she's been – I mean, you think of catering, you don't usually think of organic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's catering, yeah. catering. Catering's its job. own – She's yeah, and she's, awesome. she's organic yeah, and natural legit, and local, yeah. and she's a, – she's a – she's – yeah,
5: This event was born out of kind of our need to create a demand for our holiday trim and byproduct. Because nobody's buying ground beef and stew meat for Christmas dinner. So what we used to do in the early days is we bought an extra chest freezer that uh, Jamestown and Les put in the basement of Chelsea Market. And as we cut your you know tenderloin and rib, uh, rib roast for the holidays, all that excess trim from, because we only bring in whole animals, we would fill the freezer. And then this event, the first year, was a way to create demand for that trim. So it's really about supporting the farmers. Um, It was about making sure we're not throwing anything away. And we try to make this event zero waste across the board. There's no paper cups and disposable items. Uh, Everything is reusable. You get like a branded Chili Fest mug to take home that you just walk around and the chefs fill it with chili. Nice. fun. guys thought everything what's up over here I give that that, that's that's Mary Cleaver's team
3: (laughs) (laughs) Bill how's business so how many years on the Upper West Side we just hit 10 years on December
2: 16th we just ran this uh, 10 plate uh, 7 course dinner um, last couple weeks um, which was a great success for us uh, yeah, we're pretty psyched, you know, so we're, every, everything's good, everything's good on the yeah, it's, West Yeah,
3: I'd say on the Upper West Side, it's a go-to, it's one of the great restaurants, it's, it's not ex- terribly expensive, the, everything's done in-house, the menu's always seasonal, creative, super yeah. fresh, yeah. super well done, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, sometimes I forget how good you guys are, until we go there, and I go there and eat, or we bring in cameras and film, and then I'm like, oh. Yeah, they're badasses. <laughs> well, and, the,
2: the Upper West Side is, you know, it has changed demographically. I mean, there are more people up there who are willing to go out to eat, but they don't like me. I'm I'm in my 40s and I have a kid, and I don't want to go all the way downtown <laughs> to eat. I need good places up by where I live on the Upper you West Side. Think? So. I mean, they, they, I,
3: I've always thought it was an under. I mean, for whatever trying reason, trying to talk I don't know Jake the... to
2: open a place by me so I could, uh, <laughs> you know, buy some meat up on, there on Tuesday. I'm meeting
3: with the real estate. Agent. Right. <laughs> okay. give me a second. <laughs> Hey, hey! hey, hey. It's how things happen? No, it's great. And and your store, I mean, uh, it used to be the only place I bought my meat. It's just such a, it was such a great. I mean, everything from ground I know I moved to the complete opposite it end. Hurt like I'm, business, you came yeah. A lot. No, honestly, it's a couple. Hey, Jake, next year, where's that guy? That business guy, Calameca, Where's that? You're, you're down ten grand. Yeah, yeah no. I, I it was. One-stop shopping, and you've really expanded. So you have a new kid in the kitchen, a new chef who just won some award. I saw something on Facebook. Yeah. So you know, so, Fred's so now, now for- that I've been forced, I've been dragged into this century. <laughs> so now I'm on Instagram and Facebook, which yeah. is like yeah. ridiculous. So
5: Fred was with me for a while. He was our sous chef, and then we promoted him to – we kind of broke up our chef's role. So he's our chef de charcuterie, I guess we call him. Uh, so he runs all of the cured, smoked, kind of all, all of the charcuterie program. And then Jimmy, who had been with me for about four years and was our sous chef, had left to go work for Google for a bit. Uh, and across, then he across the street, across the street. Yeah. And tough. Uh, Jimmy came back to take over as our co chef in charge of all of our prepared foods. Uh, Jimmy does amazing food. Uh, so now we kind of have those two guys in the kitchen tag teaming it, and they're doing amazing jobs. Fred, uh, he just won the Good Food Award for his uh, Parisian ham. Has won a couple of award, other awards too. Um, nice. A really awesome product. He got kissed by Alice Waters. He's very excited.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Hey. Um, (laughs) Congratulations. No, it's great. It's such a great story. It's such a great story, what you guys do. And I think that, you know... To your point, I mean, if, forget the ground beef in the freeze of the first year, but, I mean, you're using the whole animal. You're buying whole animals. You're buying whole pigs. You're buying whole animals. I know that's how you get them delivered. You can see there's an opening butcher area in the back, so you can see the butchers at work with the meat hooks hanging from the ceiling taking these animals down. But, yeah, all that other stuff that you're making, all that charcuterie, all those sausages, all those force meats, the burger that's all kind of the trim stuff. Cause like you said, everyone wants the fancy loin cuts. They're sort of the most recognizable parts. But you also have a really nice case in that you've gotten – Kind of feedback from various maybe Mexican-American butchers that you had or a kid that worked in Italy where you have other muscles that you've taken out of the carcass that you're selling as like steaks and roast that you just don't see out in in traditional American butchery.
5: Yeah, we borrow from cutting traditions all over the world. Whatever we can do to create the most value out of every carcass and get the most utilization. You know, no matter what, when you, especially with beef, you have too much ground beef on every carcass, Right, right? right? So for every steer we break down, even if we extract the smallest cuts from the shoulder, Um, And the Heinz, we still end up with, you know, 150 to 200 pounds of trim. And, you know, we want to the whole idea is we minimize how much of that has to go into the ground beef uh, by borrowing from these different cutting traditions. So you'll see the palomilla and the Platanillo and all different cuts that have great value and they keep our case interesting. Uh, they You know, traditionally in America, we just ground it all.
3: I know. We just we take the loins, cut it into the money steaks, and everything else goes in the grinder. That's like the American, because we have a hundred million cattle because we're America because we have corn and subsidies and it's cheap. I and mean, that's a whole, that's somebody else's <laughs> show. That's a political kind of. It's a we're, we're,
2: Clemente, uh, voting voting, uh, you know, stump
3: show or something. Or something. I don't know. It's that's not what we do. No, it's a great it's a great butcher they shop. Taste good, and tastes good. And no, it does. And it's funny because even like I was gonna. Next time I'm gonna come by. Like I wanted to try your sirloin, top sirloin, because that's like a really flavorful cut of meat you don't like it he's, his head. he's really. li- he don't like it so what do you like what's your favorite steak that isn't like the uh, off, that's not on the
5: loin i like the feather steak which is uh it's it's kind of the continuation of that ribeye cap muscle as it goes into the shoulder not everyone likes it much because it can be a little gristly a little chewy sometimes but i think from those like lower end cuts um i think the flavor can't be beat and sometimes newport it, steak off the flat iron that's uh, a good cut I it's like a good it. cut i've always liked those mm-hmm. Uh, I like the Newport. I love the flat iron steak. It's got, flat iron's easy. Everybody likes it because it's so tender. Yeah, um, it's very it's, it's familiar. That's its claim to fame. Yeah,
3: it's second to the filet mignon in tenderness.
2: I've never had a flat iron steak before.
3: You've never had a flat really? Iron. No. never had one in my. Well, life. It comes into. I mean, you could do the whole thing with that little gristly <laughs> nerve down the middle, which yeah. some people, if, if your texture really freaks out, some people don't like it because if right. you're eating it medium rare, it's it's yeah. chewy. Um, yeah, we, used you to Italians, like, we used to braise that when I was a little kid that was a cheap my grandma used to make tomato sauce with that yeah, like big chunks just throw it in and sear it And it's traditionally what the French use for, um, for a lot of
5: braising cuts as well they call called peleron um, but uh, it's a great cut yeah we used to sell the chicken steaks or charcoal steaks where you cut across but people don't like the the, the, the thing in the middle the middle. Yeah. yes
3: so you, but you can fillet that out and you get two smaller, thinner and then you get like something just chick chick and you had galbe that looked beautiful on skewers yesterday yeah. that caught my eye I'm like damn these guys think of, all right so chili fest that's the yeah. reason we're here chili fest it's it's the sunday before the Super Bowl there's nothing to do that day it's January groovy. 31st it's going to be 31st. cold it's going to be a cold Saturday 7 o'clock seven, 7 o'clock nine. Chelsea Market Benefits Wellness in the Schools Benefits Wellness in the Schools 27 chefs, chefs. 20, 27 of New York's top chefs playing around with chili, beer, booze and country music yeah, seven hello yeah it's a good time I'm kind of great great judges I'm going to be sitting in KMA <laughs> pissed that I'm not here honestly no that's the night I can just feel it there's okay. no football there's no Game of Thrones it's Sunday I, by then I've already watched okay. episode Episode number 10 of The Making of a Murderer. I'm, I've got nothing to do, and there's a chili fest going off somewhere. keep May is not that far away. <laughs> three, five, three hours, bro. I wish. I wish. Bill, so great to see you. Congratulations. You keep you. up your great work. Thank and you. You've been doing the school thing for so long. Yeah. And as long as I've known you. I mean, you fly around the country and do this stuff. Yeah. You've been yeah. to Florida. Yeah. You're like a known guy We're do actually
2: this. doing four schools in South Florida. We're working in Camden. We had done work in Kentucky. More work in Tallahassee. Uh, keep we're looking at other spots. thanks man
3: keep up the good thanks. work Chili Fest okay Chili Fest 16 you can buy tickets online at New York Chili Fest 2016.com or something like that Throw in a search engine everything comes up easy yes. you know I can find out shit these days as long as I have no typos thank you Jake continue success thank how's your you. son doing? he's doing great he's wild two and a half years old it's oh, intense nice. oh, it's intense yep. congratulations Bill thanks. on, on ten, ten more great years at thank Telepants you. great institution right. be well guys hey stay tuned for next week's show folks see you then